0: We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. Before the era of on-demand television, waking up to watch Saturday morning cartoons was a childhood ritual. And for saxophonist Stephen Philip Harvey, a source of inspiration. Originally from Ohio, Harvey lives in Salisbury on the Eastern Shore. He's performed with the Akron Symphony Big Band, the Ohio Players, the Youngstown Jazz Collective, and other musical projects. He's now choir director at Wicomico High School, as well as an instructor at Salisbury University and an adjunct professor at Youngstown State University. In 2016, Harvey released his first album as composer and bandleader, Sweet Childhood. Last summer, the Stephen Philip Harvey Jazz Orchestra made its debut with the album, Smash. When we spoke in September, I asked him if music had been a big part of his childhood.
1: Well, yeah, I come from a a very musical family, uh, which kind of delved into both instrumental and vocal uh, music. Vocal being like the church side of my family, singing hymns at every single family event that we have growing up in church. Uh, and then doing choir throughout school. And the instrumental side came from uh, my mom's side of the family, specifically uh, starting clarinet at like the age of uh, nine and then continuing all the way through school as well.
0: So you're a saxophonist as well as a composer, but you started on clarinet.
1: Yeah. So uh, back when it was like fourth grade in my school and a lot of people were asking, oh, what instrument do you want to play? I had no clue. So I ran home to my mom and said, hey, what instrument did you play? And she was like, clarinet. So I went in and started playing clarinet. And then in high school, when the Jazz Ensemble had some seniors graduate and I was either a sophomore, Leo was a sophomore at the time, my band director was like, we need people in the Jazz Ensemble for saxophone. I don't play saxophone. Yes, you do. Here you go. Just think of upper octave clarinet fingering. So, in high school, I started playing saxophone uh, for jazz ensemble specifically, and then kept up that balance of clarinet and saxophone all throughout college.
0: And it was the marching band director at Seton Hill University who saw your talent for improvisation. How did he share that observation with you?
1: It was a very weird, uh, uh, like, occurrence that happened. I would often like noodle on my clarinet, just pick out melodies and play random stuff in a key and he started screaming names at me he's very eccentric like in the best way a fun man uh he just started screaming names at me on the marching band field uh he would go ken poplowski buddy DeFranco, and i had no idea who those people were and eventually i was like maybe i should just google this and i googled who those people were and they were jazz clarinetists so then i started listening to their music and i was like oh i didn't know clarinet could even sound like this
0: (laughs) he just shouted names at you
1: (laughs) yes very much so
0: Already in high school, you knew teaching was in your future, but debated between math and music education. What, what tipped the scales in favor of music?
1: Oh, calculus. That's what tipped the scales. I got to my <laughs> calculus class and immediately thought, no, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. It was, it was still interesting, and I really liked math as a subject at that time. Uh, but then I, I got to derive and derive and derive and derive in that class. And eventually, like, not fell out of love with it, but knew that that's not what I wanted to do all the time. I didn't get the same joy out of it as I got out of music once I got to the higher level.
0: I empathize. Advanced calculus was the only D I got in college.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, when I got to college, I decided to not take a single hard math class. I took uh, college algebra, which, like, you know, (laughs) is algebra again. So I took what I took my eighth grade year of of, uh, secondary school. So I I went the opposite route. (laughs)
0: I mentioned Saturday Morning Cartoons. Tell us about the inspiration behind Smash.
1: Yeah, so Smash is a collection of nine pieces that's inspired by uh, superheroes and comic books and all the media associated with it. Unfortunately, I didn't have like the budget or the income as a child to buy comic books uh so that wasn't like part of my source material what i uh, of inspiration when i was a child uh me and my friend did write comic books for a little bit but that was all based off the ideas that we got off of saturday morning cartoons uh things like uh, batman the animated series marvel spider-man one great programming uh was fox kids on saturday morning which then became abc kids it was this cool program that didn't have a dedication to a single type of IP.
0: IP, intellectual property.
1: So in comic books, we have universes like DC and Marvel, and they didn't have a dedication to any of those. So they were playing Marvel content, they were playing uh, DC content, so you got to watch things like 90s X-Men or uh, Spider-Man, but then also right next to it would be Batman or uh, Justice League Unlimited, which was all really cool.
0: So these characters have been rolling around in your head ever ever since you were a kid?
1: Yeah, so it's it's actually really problematic because I'm supposed to remember all these other things and of all these characters and their and their universes and all their rogues galleries are unfortunately just, not fortunate, fortunately, I love it, are like stuck in my brain where other information to other people should be. They're like, you remember all this, but you can't remember like famous quartets? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Let's listen to some of the song Vigilante. What kinds of images and feelings are you trying to evoke for listeners?
1: That's a great question because I feel like a lot of people, when they hear the the inspiration for this project, they think that I'm taking themes that are already created. And what I'm trying to do is take archetypes and take situational things within comic books and comic book media and superhero media and put them into sound without the visual aspect of it. So, for example, Vigilante, the, what you just heard, Uh, I'm trying to think of the brooding, angry, dark type of vigilante that maybe stands on the top of a building in the middle of the city and looks over his city and has some sort of guilt over a thing that happened. And in each universe, there are characters that fit that archetype. So Batman would fit that archetype in the DC universe. In the Marvel universe, you have characters like Daredevil um, who both are uh, considered vigilante and have that kind of dark brooding archetype. So when I'm writing that piece, that's what I'm thinking about. Those are the types of things that I try and invoke within that piece.
0: That's composer and saxophonist Stephen Philip Harvey here on The Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're speaking about his latest album, Smash. Stephen, Disney composer Alan Menken is one of your influences. Tell us a bit about Menken and the films you grew up watching.
1: Oh, man. So Alan Menken um, musically is just a hero of mine. Um, fortunately, he penned a lot of the music for the Disney Renaissance. Um, that's the music in the films of 1989 through the, uh, about 1999. Uh, so films like The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's responsible for that music. He did a couple more films after the uh, turn of the century. But when I was very, very small, that was my introduction into music and musical theater. Uh, before I had a clarinet in my hands, I was still singing those songs and getting used to those harmonies. And I feel like though that type of uh, movie music, which wasn't simplistic at all, it was, it was complicated in the moments and, and very, very large and grandiose, uh, gave me a taste very young for the type of music, for the wide breadth of music that I'd enjoy as an adult.
0: You often describe composing as painting with a palette of colors. How would you describe the colors of Smash?
1: So fortunately, I wanted to make a, a more eclectic album. So sometimes when you turn on an album, it's going to sound relatively similar throughout the entire set list because it's our track list because that, that's the whole goal. And I kind of went with the opposite goal. So each each piece is like its own vignette or vignette into comic books rather than having the same palette. I took smaller palettes of color for um, each piece. So if I were thinking about Vigilante, I would think like darker colors, maybe monochromatic even on the darker side of uh, monochronism. And if we're thinking about uh, Smash, I would think like kind of art poppy with primary colors and uh, a different piece that we have uh, called Zephyr, I would think brighter colors, maybe uh, pinks and light blues and like a cloud sequence.
0: Another track on Smash, let's hear part of Nefarious Plots. you are now teaching both high school and college students. How do you find time to write and perform?
1: I uh, have a private studio as well. So uh, people ask often how I balance all these. And luckily, my wife is very supportive of my music. And so the, the short answer is is a calendar, a very detailed calendar that uh, plots out time of when I'm writing and when I'm practicing, uh, bringing my horn with me during the school day so that if I plan real quick and have my lessons planned out, I can have time then to practice. And then scheduling all my performances on like days off for for school and making sure that I, I can uh, travel without taking days off. Uh, so like I'm in the middle of a fall tour right now. And I have three, sorry, I have four dates outside of the state of Maryland, and only one of those days I, I used a day for. So it's like just meticulous planning, I guess.
0: I'm still having a hard time understanding how a mild-mannered choir director creates this sound that I would call big band. I mean, how how does being a music teacher shape how you work with professional musicians and vice
1: versa? Well, it's very interesting. It's almost like two sides of the same coin with with the big band thing. It's these intense harmonies and these complicated rhythm patterns and trying to make, communicate them as efficiently as possible, notation-wise, to these musicians. So that when I go in, we might have one rehearsal before we go on a three-day tour and go, boom, okay, like I've communicated all the ideas that I need to do. Uh, and then when I'm in the classroom, it's the opposite. I have three months to put together one concert and trying to get my students to understand these complicated ideas and maybe not the same ideas like in a, in a choir classroom and a jazz, even if I was teaching like high school jazz band, which I don't, I would be talking about s- different things within music. But regardless, it's like the amount of time that I have to prepare for something and the, the level at which the students understand the concept or the musicians understand the concept is almost like two different parts of the process. So it's a very interesting balance of knowing what needs to be communicated in a rehearsal.
0: How do you introduce younger audiences to jazz?
1: One of the great parts about this record is that it's kind of not universal, but a, a very popular. It's very, a very popular IP right now. When I was a child, like it wasn't at all. Like I wouldn't go to school and talk about superheroes all the time because other students didn't know what I was talking about. But if I go here to my high school students and say, oh, yeah, this piece is about Batman and press play, 90 percent of the students know what I'm talking about. 95 percent of the students have seen at least one Batman movie or have seen at least one Avengers movie or uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are extremely popular. Um, When I introduce the music to students, I always like to tie in a concept Right now, um, my octet is preparing for a different release that's based on the elements. And when we talk about that, it's like all science-based and earth science-based because those were uh, addition, uh, or originally our understanding philosophically of earth science were the classical elements. And when I talk about this, it's like our understanding of comic book characters and character archetypes. So trying to like bring in knowledge that they already have that's non-musical to the music
0: if you were a superhero what powers would you want to have
1: i would love to be able to teleport with some realm of uh like omniscience within that one of the terrifying things about teleportation is if i teleported and out of nowhere like if i teleported in the middle of a train tracks and there was a train coming or if i teleported in the middle of a brick wall so with some sort of like precognition of where i'm going and knowing what's in that area when i teleport super strength would be really cool because I, I power lift, me and my wife both like like love lifting in the mornings, and it would be like really cool if I was just always the strongest one. Uh, yeah, so I think teleportation and, and flying, oh, flight. So I would never have to buy a plane ticket again. But I mean, also, if I can teleport, why would I need to fly? Hmm. Interesting question.
0: You have a lot of ideas about it. I appreciate you talking to us. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Composer, saxophonist, and educator Stephen Philip Harvey's latest album is titled Smash. We spoke in September. At the On the Record page at WYPR.org, we have links to his website and calendar of upcoming events. Short break now. On the Record, when we're back, a woman reflects on a Christmas prank from long ago. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay tuned for A Stoop Story.